Before we get into the sermon, I do want to recognize uh, the Straub family here. Can you stand? Great. Matt and Diana. And then also the Mars family, Chad and Farrell, are you here? Let's welcome these. They're brand new members that just joined the church. And let's give them a warm welcome. And um, so if you need anything, call them day or night. Anything you need. Thanks, guys. You can have a seat um, anytime, day or night, uh, to come. We love it when God adds to our fellowship and as we grow in service of him and in love to one another. Um, as you know, I've been going through this book of Philippians. By the way, my name is Joe Davis. I'm the lead teaching pastor here for The Garden. We've been talking about how to love God's people. And this week, with Love from Prison, the name of the series, and this week we're talking about loving through animal control. Yes, that's right, through animal control. Because, you know, a subtitle for this would be some things are just right and some things are, frankly, just wrong. See, there are many opinions in the world today about truth and spirituality. And just get it set right off the bat so you understand where I'm coming from with this sermon. Our take here at the Garden is that there's only one right way only one way to Heavenly Dad, and that's through Jesus, His work on the cross, His death, and His resurrection. All of the rest are lies from liars, and they are dogs, and they do the work of evil. Because you'll see what I'm talking about in chapter 3 of Philippians. Starting in chapter 3, you understand in the first two chapters, Paul has been kind of warm. Even when he was correcting the Philippians, he was saying stuff like, now listen, brothers, count it all joy and all these things, and also understand you shouldn't be grumbling, and I'm sending you the two most important guys in my life to hold you accountable for that because I love you. I'm sending Timothy and Epaphroditus and going on, and I, think, I thank God every time I remember you and I pray for you all the time that your joy may be complete and full and blah, blah. He was very, very friendly, very warm, very affectionate, but something happens at the beginning of chapter 3. And his tone changes from warm and encouraging, and he lets a little bit of anger seep in. And here's the reason, before I read the passage, here's the reason. Paul faced a lot of criticism and conflict in his ministry because he was a rebel. And there are many who would come behind him after he'd been in a city or a town to start a church. Many who would come behind him and call him an idiot, a heretic, an evil man. And they would try to undo all the hard work that he had done in declaring the gospel by either denying the gospel in its entirety or by trying to twist it and manipulate it just slightly. So people would attack, frankly, the enemy would attack by using people to say, no, the gospel, nothing about it is true, or, well, this part of the gospel is true, but Paul had this part wrong. It's no wonder Paul, as invested as he was, remember, he was in prison facing death because of his commitment to the church. He was giving it all. He had bought into the movement completely, 100%. So it's no wonder that Paul would have such resentment and emotion towards these types of people. I mean, he was in prison facing death for teaching the gospel. He was invested, and of course, 
He was very passionate about the people that he invested in. And to him, whether they were gospel deniers or gospel manipulators, he treats them all the same. He considers them evil. He considers them agents of Satan. And he considers them animals. Dogs looking to mutilate the souls of believers. Look at what he says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Well, before I do that, that's not Philippians. Let me share this story. <laughs> that's an evil dog right there, right? I mean, chihuahuas are adorable until they show their teeth. So, last week I was riding my bike through my normal route, and something new happened. Clearly, one of my neighbors got a chihuahua. I'm riding my bike, and listen, I'm going like 15, 16, no, 25, 26 miles an hour. <laughs> I'm riding, and all of a sudden, this chihuahua comes running out of the street, chasing me, literally a quarter mile, riding right next to my bike. And so, like, when my feet go down on the pedal, it's close enough he could bite them. And I go up, and I'm thinking, what do I do? Do I run him over? Do I kick him? Do I outrun him? Do I squirt him with my Gatorade bottle? No, I'll be thirsty later. I don't want to do that. Do I give him a treat? I just said, you know what? I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing, and sooner or later, he'll get tired. The owner came out. No lie. Julio! They called the dog Julio. I'm not kidding. <laughs> Julio, get back here! So the dog turned around and ran away. But for a minute there, at first I was scared. And then I was angry, and then I was amused, <laughs> and then I was relieved. But that's what evil dogs do. <laughs> He's kind of cute in his mean-looking sort of way, isn't he? <laughs> Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write you the same things is no trouble to me. And it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and we put no confidence in the flesh. I mean, Paul reverts to name-calling here. When I was a kid, there was a German shepherd in my friend's house when I was like 14, and we all used to go to my friend's house because he had a big yard. That's where we played baseball and football and, you know, things like that. And when we felt un-American, we'd play soccer. And <clears throat> so, I'm just kidding, people. Don't be so angry. Don't be so angry. So we would go there, and he had a German shepherd that liked everyone but me. And it would scare me, you know. And I remember one time, we were playing baseball, and the dog got out, and it came right at me. And I had a bat. And I was ready, if he'd have gotten any closer, I mean, he was right there showing his teeth and barking, I would have hit him, because I was, I was 14 and I'm scared, and they, they called the dog away. But you understand, this is how we should approach false doctrine. We should be ready to stamp it out at any moment. See, religion says this. If I obey God's rules, then he will love me. So let's kind of look through some of these things, okay? Give you some context. Acts chapter 15, 1 through 5 says this. But some men came down from 
Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the customs of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and to the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. And so basically what we see here is they were spreading this heresy in Galatia and in Corinth and Colossae and in Jerusalem and in Philippi and all these places where the gospel was spreading among Gentiles, non-Jewish Christians. And these were evil missionaries going behind Paul trying to corrupt the church. And what were they teaching? They were teaching this, if you really want to be right with God, you still have to do all the things that the Jews do. The sacrifices, the ritual cleansing, you got to wear certain types of clothes when you go to God, you have to eat certain types of food, listen to certain types of music, hang out with certain types of people, circumcision, yes, even you adult Gentiles have to be circumcised if you become Christians. Correct, if you want heaven, Jesus is not enough. You must deny yourself. You must mutilate yourself. You must strive to keep yourself perfect under the law of Moses. Guys, this was the first denominational conflict in church history. And it led to something called the Jerusalem Council, which was described here, where Paul and Barnabas were called to Jerusalem to talk to the apostles and said, Apostles, here's what's going on. God is saving these Gentiles. The facts are clear. The Spirit of God is moving. He is saving them. He is transforming them. God's doing amazing things. He's healing their hearts, healing their souls, healing their minds. It's very clear. They don't have to follow the law of Moses. They have to follow Jesus. And after much debate, the apostles said, you're right. We declare that Jesus is enough. It was about the gospel versus religion. So let's look through some of the things about the difference between the gospel and religion. Religion says, obey God and he will love me. Do good, be good, do these things, and you will earn God's favor. But the gospel says, God enables you to obey. He transforms you. He enables you to be righteous. You aren't righteous and then God loves you. God transforms you and loves you first and makes you righteous. Religion says God loves good people. And he hates bad people. But the gospel says all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Religion says, see what I do? The gospel says, look what Jesus has done. Religion says, trust in works. And faith says, trust in Jesus. Religious people will hide their sin for fear of embarrassment. Faith and the gospel causes people to confess, repent, seek mercy, 
admit they need help. So that was basically the conflict between Paul and these Judaizers. Judaizers and he says, listen, Philippians, if I really love you, I'm going to have to do this. And he says, it's not tedious for me to do this over and over again. Count it joyful. Don't be upset that I keep bringing this up, but I'm going to do it again because it's good for you. He said that, right? This is good for you that I do this. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evildoers. They seek to mutilate your flesh. They seek to mutilate your faith. They seek to destroy what we have taught you. Now today, there are many opinions about truth and spirituality. Our take here in the garden is there is only one right way, and it's Jesus, the cross, the resurrection. There is not more than one way to a relationship with God. All roads don't ultimately lead to heaven. That's a lie from dogs. And here's the struggle that I have and that we have as pastors if we really love you, right? Sometimes as pastors, when we really love the flock of God that he has entrusted to us, we have to figure out a way to walk the line of being tough with teaching that some might embrace that is plainly just wrong, but not to come off as arrogant or overbearing or merciless. That's why Paul tries to start with, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you over and over again is no trouble. And to me, it is safe for you. And so as a pastor, part of my job is to have the courage and the boldness to say things that some of you may not like, that certainly the evildoers won't like. Certainly other dogs will come nip at my heels. But if I really love you, I have to exercise animal control. We have to herd the wild dogs in because there's a lot of them. The gospel is simple and dogs make it complicated. The gospel is right and dogs make it false. The gospel is true and it is the power of God. The scripture says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It, the gospel, is the power of God to salvation. That's our stand here at the garden. So I'm going to give you some examples of some false teaching today that we face. The first one is all roads lead to heaven. Not true. If it was, then we, didn't, we wouldn't have to be claimed to be Christians. We could just claim to be spiritual. But we are here because we have decided to identify with Christ. Not with Allah. Not with anyone else. We have identified with the sufferings, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus as our hope, our power, our joy, our salvation. There's another false teaching out there that Jesus was just a good teacher. He was just a man, and sure, he died for what he believes in, and we should follow his teachings, but he was just a man. It's a lie. As a matter of fact, historically speaking, it can, be it can be proven. There are many secular records of the works of Christ and his ministry. The volumes are overwhelming, frankly. 
There are some who even teach that Jesus didn't really exist, that everybody's name was Jesus. How could you tell? Well, even the Romans admit in their records, Jesus of Nazareth existed. And you understand Nazareth was not a big town. That's what makes it so specific. It was this Jesus from this small area. There's another false teaching out there that you must be baptized to be saved. That's a lie. Baptism can be either an outflow of obedience. It can be a symbol saying, I have rejected the world and I embrace the gospel. It can also be parents saying about their children, we want our children to have the earthly benefits of being part of God's family. That infant baptism does not save your child. It just identifies them with the church. It's up to God to save them on his timetable according to his will as he sees fit. There's nothing magical about that sacrament. There's another lie out there that salvation is not secure. Here's another lie from dogs that yes, God saves you, but you can work your way out. I'm going to tell you right now, if God, if God set it up that way, all of us are in danger, trust me. Because you all will have worked your way out. I worked my way out on Thursday afternoon. <laughs> and again Saturday morning. If I'd kicked that dog, I'd really be in trouble. <laughs> he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it to the day of salvation. No man can pluck them out of my hand. All the Father has given to me will come to me. If the scripture is true, then salvation is secure. And it's not so flimsy that it could be such a thing where the spirit and power of God is not strong enough to change you and transform you in such a way that you could slip back into being unsaved. When God loves you, when God saves you, he does a really good job every time. It's not like God's up there saying, well, I wanted to save him, but he's just not good enough. We all suck. We're all bad. And God loves us anyway. There's another lie that's out there. There's some very popular pastors that push some of this. They have huge followings. As a matter of fact, they're received as evangelicals, which is really frightening. One of his, his name is Brian McLaren. He says, the Bible is just traditions, not truth. It's not inspired, it's beautiful, he says. That the Bible is not truth, it's suggestions. Which leads the way to the idea of universalism. The Bible is just one philosophy you can follow. Dog. The scripture is true. We can trust it. We can rely upon it. The Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide the joints from the bones and the marrow. It is sharp, and it can cut, and it can pierce, and it can teach, and it can lead, and it can transform. The Word of God is powerful. It's quick. Brian McLaren is wrong with the postmodern emergent church movement that says Jesus is just a way, not the way. 
There's another very popular pastor out there. His name is Rob Bell. He teaches that hell isn't real. It's just allegory. It's figurative. And he says real Christians long for this truth. You can see how Rob Bell's belief goes hand in hand with Brian McLaren's. There is a separation from God outside of Christ. The separation is painful, and it's eternal. It's not a party with your friends. There is judgment, just like there's mercy. You see, we want mercy, right? We seek mercy, we seek mercy, but then the dogs come and say, yes, yeah, seek mercy, but don't worry, there's no judgment. Well, that makes no sense. Why do we need mercy if there's no judgment? Why do we need mercy if we don't deserve judgment? If we don't deserve judgment, then we don't need mercy. And if we don't deserve judgment and we don't need mercy, then we don't need the Scripture. If we don't need the Scripture, we don't need Jesus. If we don't need Jesus, we don't need forgiveness. We don't need forgiveness, we don't need transformation. We don't need repentance. We don't need to love one another because there's no consequences. These are teachings from dogs according to Paul's definition. <clears throat> now, some of you are out there saying, yeah, Pastor Joe, you give it to him. That's not my goal. I hate that. I don't like to be the guy that comes and says, you listen to me. You know, I'm not, I don't want to be a hellfire and damnation kind of pastor. That's not my style. I want to love people. But I've got a problem. My problem is this. As a shepherd, whether it be of garden people, nightlife students, neighbors, friends, as an elder, as a pastor, as a shepherd, I've got a problem, and that is this. I see false teaching, and I hate it because it hurts people. It misleads people. It misguides them. And you know what that does more than anything else? It robs them of the joy of truly knowing God through Jesus and his sufferings. You miss out on mercy. You miss out on transformation. You miss out on love. And you bask in a sea that becomes a swirling, sucking eddy of despair of nominalism and universalism. So for me to really love you, for us as leaders to really love you, we have to figure out a way to repeatedly warn you, as Paul did the Philippians, don't be frustrated with me, Philippians, when I say this stuff over and over again, because it's good for you, and it feels safe for me to do it. We have to figure out a way to tell you that these teachings are false, and that those that teach them are dogs, yet somehow I'm supposed to do this in a loving way that encourages growth, unity, compassion for each other, and for those that might believe otherwise. How do I do that? How do I share these truths with you in a way that's humble and compassionate and merciful and do it over and over again because I love you, and if I don't, I don't really love you. I'm just trying to grow a bunch of numbers. Numbers without the gospel are meaningless. Sure, it means more tithes and offerings and nicer buildings and more staff, 
But it's pointless because the gospel's why we're here. So I have to walk this line, right? Otherwise, I don't love you. I have to figure out a way to love you through animal control. Because look, there are dogs out there. And if you love, you don't let the dogs run wild. Because they do the work of the enemy. Paul says, look out for the evildoers. The mutilators of the flesh. Because what they teach will mutilate your faith. So, here's the promise that I can make to you. However long God has me here teaching, there'll be issues that come up. There'll be things that I hear, and I'll have to take a stand. I have to figure out a way to do it in a way that you don't feel judged. I have to figure out a way to do it in love and in mercy. There might be things we have to address in the future that make people leave. We don't want that. We want to love. We want to embrace. But some things are right and some things are wrong. And so here's the promise that we can make. You can count on us to love you enough to call it out with humility and love when we see it, even if it makes us and you uncomfortable. Otherwise, this is an hour of medium entertainment. Why do we go through this trouble? You know, it'd be a lot easier for me just to get up and preach in a church that doesn't take a stand. We'd have more numbers. Everybody would like me. I wouldn't offend anyone. I would just say things like, we should help the poor, which we should. We should help the widows, which we should. We should love one another, which we should. I could just preach the easy stuff. But sometimes things are right, and sometimes things are wrong. We do this because we are passionate about you. We're passionate about your faith. We're passionate about your walk with Jesus. We're passionate about your walk with each other. And there is no way that we, as your shepherds, will stand by and let dogs ruin what God is doing in your life. 